Good morning. Welcome into the season of Advent where we delight in the wonder that Christ has come once into the world in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born in human flesh, fully God yet fully man, to save us in a whole world, to make all things new. That wonder has begun. There is light there, and yet there is still much darkness around us and even within us. And so we look for that great hope of the great light to come when Jesus himself will be the light of the world in the center of all things forever in new heavens and new earth, where there will be perfect light, no more darkness, no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And so we wait between those times. That is, that is Advent, and that is our hope. We long for the expected Jesus to meet us even now. And welcome into the book of Exodus, which is a journey really from darkness to light all the way through. We'll be sort of living here in Exodus throughout Advent and into the new year with Epiphany and season of Lent leading us all the way up to Easter. So here we begin in the book of Exodus, moving from darkness to light with a story that is full of much darkness. The beginnings of Exodus are a story of darkness, and yet there's growth in the darkness through the grace of our Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, Exodus 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers in all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well 
with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. O Lord God, Father in heaven, thank you that you are the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are also our Father in him. Thank you that you know each of our names, even as you remembered the names of the sons of Israel of old. You remember all of our names. Thank you that ultimately we've been moved from being deceivers and supplanters like Jacob to being the people of the new Israel of God, people who in Jesus have had a wrestling with God and you have prevailed in our lives and you have poured out grace to us. Thank you, O Father. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're all over this book of Exodus. You are everywhere in it as you are in all the pages of Scripture and all the images of a rock in the wilderness and water flowing of manna falling down from heaven, of light and darkness. It's you, Jesus. It's you. You're the fullness of all of that, and we praise you. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you, in fits and starts in their brokennesses, continue to be steadfast in delivering and sustaining a people here in Exodus. Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, do that with us, for we are so stopping and starting in our journeys with Jesus. We so wander. We so get caught in cul-de-sacs and wilderness waste places. Come, Holy Spirit, be merciful afresh to us today. May your mercy, O God, come to us in dark places today. And may light shine and may your gospel be multiplied in us and through us. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So here's a little tidbit on me. I'm a native Floridian. I love light. Sunshine state, you know, person by birth. I love light. And so last week when we were having the Thanksgiving festivities at my daughter's house in Raleigh, uh, she and I had a little private war. She does not like a lot of light on in the house. I love light in the house. So I went around everywhere turning on lights, and she would follow Dad around and turn off all the lights. And back and forth we would go. I'd get up early in the morning, turn all the lights on. She'd get up after me and turn them off. And she won. It was her house, you know. Uh, but I didn't give up the fight for light. Um, it reminds me, this, this whole idea of light and darkness, too, of when Fran and I were transitioning away from our time in Austin, having planted Redeemer Church there, and we're sensing God calling us to something new, and we were exploring other options. And one I was very excited about was going to Seattle to be a part of a church planting effort in Seattle. And Fran gently took me aside and said, Paul, I will go anywhere with you. The kids will all go. God will use us and God will bless. But Paul, Seattle, really? Like, that's not you, Paul. You're way too uncool for that, you know? Um, and besides, Paul, you've got like seasonal disorder. Like, you know, sunshine's there three days a year. Like, you're going to die. Please don't make us go to Seattle. She was right. That was really good wisdom. Uh, you may not be a Sunshine State person. You not, not be a light fetish kind of person like me. But uh, we all, whether we're in tune with it or not, 
are craving the light of God. What the Bible says really from cover to cover is God made us in order to enjoy his light, to see his light, and to reflect that light back to him. God is the sun and we are moons that face toward him and reflect black his light. Jesus is the full radiance of the light of God. In his face, all of God shines. He comes to be the light of the world. He shines, as John said, into the dark world and the darkness does not overcome it. Right from our Advent reading today, you heard those words. And yet, even though Christ has come, even though his light is present, even though we can enjoy that and experience that, there's still a lot of darkness around. There's still darkness around us and in us. I like what Fleming Rutledge says in the first sentence of her book of Advent Reflections. She says, Advent is the same every year. It begins every year with the darkness. I love what Frederick Buechner says. He says, Advent reminds us that we are people of light, but people of light living between light and darkness. That's the Christian journey, not just in Advent, but all the way through. Ah, darkness. Why are we doing Exodus? Because as I prayed, Jesus is everywhere in Exodus. Everywhere. You have Moses and Jesus being the greater Moses. You have Moses being born under crisis and Jesus born under crisis. You have Moses having to have a miraculous rescue to escape death around his birth and Jesus the same. You have Moses having to uh, both come down into, come, come out of Egypt and come back into Egypt in order to deliver and then lead a people out again. And Christ has to go into Egypt and back out of Egypt in order to deliver a whole world of people. There are so many images right in Exodus that the New Testament tells us are about Jesus. That rock that water flows out of, that's really Jesus. Uh, truly, that's a shadow of Jesus. The manna that comes down from heaven, the bread of heaven, that's a shadowy form of Jesus, the bread of life. That Passover lamb who is slain for each family and the blood is smeared over the door frames of the home. That's just a picture of Jesus Christ, the great Passover lamb, who has once for all been slain for the sins of the world, even mine and yours. And by his blood we have life. It's, he's everywhere. And so we'll, we'll journey through Exodus looking for Jesus all along the way. But the second reason we're doing Exodus right now and starting now is because it starts here in the dark. It starts with this very dark passage and the people needing to find light in that darkness afresh. The people being able to experience grace even in the darkness from the Lord. A grace that can be multiplied in them and through them. You could argue that the key word in this first passage is multiply or multiplied. It shows up four times. Verse 7, verse 10, verse 12, verse 20. That even in the middle of all this darkness, God's light is active, God's grace is moving, God is multiplying His grace in and through His people that they can grow in the life of His kingdom. Let's process that. 
together a little bit. How can we find grace multiplied in our lives in the darkness? Think about that just a couple of ways with me. One is, we can find grace for us in the darkness of being forgotten. That's where this story begins, with people being forgotten. Uh, What we learn is, though Joseph has been the hero of Egypt in the past generation, the Hebrew who comes down, the son of Jacob, the the son of Israel who comes down, right, into Egypt as a slave and then is put in a prison unjustly, is lifted up and becomes the second ranking person in all of Egypt, functionally the second most powerful person in the world politically. God uses him to prepare a place for all the family of Jacob to come and be formed as the nation of Israel in this time down in Egypt. But more than that, right? He's been used to actually give life to a whole region of people helping them get through this famine season. But that's all forgotten. That Pharaoh has died. Joseph and all his brothers have died. And now there's a new Pharaoh who knows not Joseph or his family. Being forgotten is dark. Fran and I were dialoguing a little bit about some funny stories about forgetting or being forgotten. You know, we we muse that our our children being the pastor's pastor and pastor's wife on Sundays makes it chaotic. You're typically coming in multiple cars. You don't know which parent might have which child. And we've left a lot of children at church (laughs) forgetting them. I think my third daughter, Bailey, is particularly scarred from that. She was the one that got forgotten the most. Uh, but we work through that. That's kind of funny, right? Uh, another funny one that I sort of thought of are our friends. I'll just call them Ron and Deborah that we met in Athens, Georgia. Deborah was had been a Christian and grown up in a Christian home, and and really was still claiming to be a Christian, but had walked far away from following Christ and was sort of processing coming back. And, and Ron was not a Christian and very open about that. And we were so excited to build a friendship with them in our neighborhood in Athens, Georgia, and make a, fr- you know, build, kind of talk about Jesus freely with them. And, and we would have dinners and time together. And it was amazing. And they were even sort of in some small way in our COVID bubble in Athens, although in Athens, you didn't believe in COVID. You know, that's another problem, right? Uh, but, um, you know, and, and, uh, and so we moved to L.A. at the end of 2020, and uh, Ron and Deborah loved to talk about pickleball, and, and they were the first people I heard talk about pickleball, and so six months later after we moved to L.A., Fran introduces us to pickleball, and we are just loving it, and after we play kind of the first weekend, I said, we have to call Ron and Deborah. They're going to be so happy that we're playing pickleball, so she goes, yeah, so I pick up the, you know, get the car phone going, ride in the car, and call Ron, and, and I said, Ron, this is Paul Hahn. Who? <laughs> I said, Ron, it's Paul Hahn who lived in your neighborhood. And I, huh? huh? I, I think they might have been imbibing a little bit of beverages at that time. I don't know. But, but Deborah got on the phone too. And they just had no idea who we were and why we would talk to them about pickleball from California. And I was like, I thought I was this great presence of God in their lives. They don't even know who I am, right? That's painful. 
It's more painful, right, when people who are very close to us forget us. Maybe we feel forgotten in the workplace. Nobody cares about our work. Maybe we feel forgotten in our family. We're always the last one to know anything, to be included in anything. Maybe we feel forgotten in our friend groups where sort of things ebb and flow. And if we just maybe catch wind of something, we tag along, but we're not really in the center of things. Um, Being forgotten, maybe you feel forgotten by this society. Maybe you feel forgotten by the economy. Maybe you feel forgotten by this government. Maybe you even feel forgotten by this church. If you don't just sort of fit into where a lot of our people are and live and do. You can feel like God has forgotten you. And the grace that comes to you in that dark space is God has not forgotten you. And their beautiful but subtle message of that right here in the beginning of Exodus, um, we hear that all the names of Joseph's brothers along with Joseph and his father Jacob are listed, every one of them, these who will become these 12 heads of the tribes of Israel as it multiplies into a nation. Simeon and Levi and Reuben and Judah, they're all remembered, and Benjamin and Gad and Asher, and I'm not going to try to do the rest because I've forgotten those. But God hasn't, and He doesn't, and He lists them all by name. It's so interesting, so interesting, that these are all named, and we'll get to their part of the story in a little bit. These two midwives are head of the midwives group in Goshen and Egypt, right? Shifra and Pua are named. Pharaoh isn't named. He's just Pharaoh, just king. He has no name. God, for his people, those who look to him by faith, knows us. He does not forget us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, as the prophets speak of. Would a mother forget her nursing child? Even if she could, I will not forget you. Your names are engraven on the palms of my hands. And of course, Jesus fulfills that with the scars of his resurrection. He knows us. He will never forget us. When you are being forgotten, Grace can be multiplied to you by remembering that God does not forget you. And even you can find grace and sort of multiply that grace in that space. I, I really wrestled the last couple of days of whether to tell this story, and I decided to tell it and do it a little anonymous, anonymously. It involves one of Fran and I's children. And uh, this child, when she or he was in high school, just beginning in ninth grade, discovered kind of halfway through the fall that every Friday night after the football games, um, their whole friend group went off without them and purposely was hiding from them. And uh, they felt crushed and completely forgotten. And and their life journey had been very hard to that point. And uh, they shared that with us. And Fran and I came around this child and hugged this child and embraced this child. And then we kind of went up to our bedroom and we wept together. We felt the pain maybe more than they did, I don't know, about their being forgotten. 
And so Fran went back down the hall um, to check on this child, and their bedroom door was cracked open, and they were on their knees with their Bible open, and she stood and listened as this child prayed for her friends who had forgotten her. That's how grace can come to us even in that very dark space. We can be a part of the multiplication of God's mercy and goodness even when we're in that darkness as we're leaning into the wonder that God does not forget us and his naming of us is everything. His knowing of us is everything. Secondly, think about grace multiplied to you when you're oppressed. It's one thing to be forgotten, right? It's another to be oppressed. This language in this second section about Pharaoh beginning alongside all the people to enslave the sons of Israel. Um, The language of oppression is that of being beaten down, of being crushed, of being brutalized. Language alongside it right here talks about enslavement, of heavy burdens being tied on, of crushing labor. The, The phrase of work and work and work and work just gets repeated here in this section, the middle section, uh, with this sense that, that they wanted to crush the people of Israel under oppression. What motivates the Egyptians' oppression? You can sort of hear it in the text directly and indirectly. There's a desire for power. Pharaoh wants to flex and show that he's got power over these people. He and the people are afraid of them. They're in dread of them, the text says, for fear that they will multiply so greatly. We've got to oppress them and push them down so that if ever we were to be attacked, we don't want there to be an enemy within us that pops over with this group siding with the enemy. We have to keep them pushed down. There is power, there is fear, and there's greed. Pharaoh uses them to build his storehouse cities. Free labor, slave labor, to build up his wealth, his power, his greed. Anytime those kinds of forces come down on us, it can be very oppressive. Maybe you're feeling some of that kind of darkness of oppression from your job, from the whole environment there from your family system. Maybe you're the one who is, and your family look to to figure everything out. And everybody dumps their burdens and their worries onto you and sort of, you've got to figure this out or the family's going to crumble. You feel that pressure and others put that pressure on you. I really hope those aren't my car keys. No, I don't don't have my car keys. That's good because we wouldn't fix that from here. I digress. Um, So, you know, that you can, you can feel oppression in a lot of ways short of being enslaved, right, literally. You can even oppress yourself if you allow work, 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 work to utterly define you and to be your only identity and hope. But amazingly, right, in this darkness, what happens? 
Pharaoh's doing this in fear that they will multiply, and they're oppressed, and they multiply all the greater. How does God's grace come into this space for his people here? It, it comes because as they are oppressed, what they realize is we're waiting for something. We're waiting to go back into the land promised to our fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph and all our fathers. We're, we're waiting to go to the place of full deliverance and blessing. And so when you're oppressed, one important thing to do is to thank Jesus for all he's done already in your life to free you. But look toward the fullness of his promises that all captives will be set free, all wrongs turned right, all diseases healed. Every, everything that would press you down is going to ultimately be made new and made right. All the wrongs turned right in Jesus when he returns. Look to that, and that will give you grace to endure and even multiply as a follower of Christ while you wait for his return. Secondly, like Moses sort of has to do, learn to repent of the ways you oppress others. This is what really hit me, you know, kind of piecing the sermon together over the last few days that Moses had a tendency to be an oppressor himself, okay? He's a strong guy. He's this angry man. He sees a, an Egyptian attacking a Hebrew, and he goes and kills him in response, right? Moses is out there in the wilderness after God has done so much for them, and Moses has dialogue with God, and yet in this moment he just rages, against the people and sort of speaks on God's behalf as though he were full of rage and smashes the rock in the wilderness with his staff. And God says, Moses, that was really bad. That is not who I am. You did not represent me well. Yet Moses grows to become, as the book of Numbers will say, a couple of books over, the meekest man on the face of the earth. The picture of gentleness, power shielded in gentleness and humility as Jesus himself will be. So where does God want me, you, to repent of where we are oppressive? When we're feeling oppression, start with, oh Lord, where am I an oppressor? In my family, in my workplace, in my friend groups, in my community? Where do I oppress? Lord, break that in me and renew me. There's light that can come. There's multiplying grace that can come to us as we are forgotten, as we are oppressed. And lastly, when our lives are even threatened, when we're being threatened, we go to the darkest place now. Pharaoh is frustrated, right? The slave plan isn't working. The oppressive plan isn't working. I've tried to forget all about them, and I can't. These people are flourishing. Here's what I'll do. I'll talk to the Hebrew midwives, and I'll tell these two women who oversee this whole nursing brigade over women giving birth, I'll tell them, if there's a baby girl born, you can let her live. We'd love to harvest her for domestic and other uses. But if there's a baby boy born who could grow up to fight against us, be in an army against us, you kill him. And that way we'll get rid of this whole people group 
and we'll assume all the females into our people group and we're going to crush them. We'll destroy their lives. Into that space, right, of deep threatening before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the earth. Here are these two women. You see it over and over again, right? With the birth of Christ, at the resurrection of Christ. Here are these faithful women. Pua, whose name means beauty. I'm sorry, Shifra, whose name means beauty. And Pua, whose name means fragrant blossom. These women who are truly beautiful and have the aroma of life from the God they're trusting in come up with a plan that says, no, we're not doing it, Pharaoh. (laughs) We're not taking life. We're standing for life. We will go up against your threat. So you could argue right here, and God, listen, God can always do anything the way he wants. He's always, he doesn't need me. The very rocks, you know, can cry out in praise to God, as, as Jesus says elsewhere. But God so often chooses to bring things to very fine points, to very key crossroads, you know, it, where just a few people are involved in a major turning point of grace being multiplied. These two women and the women who may have been under them like they are the bridging point. They are the, they are the you know, 300 fighting in the pass of Thermopylae to make sure that the huge horde of evil and darkness cannot pass here. And God in their weakness shows himself strong. And they lie to Pharaoh. They tell tales about the Hebrew women, right? So that those boys can live. Where does God, yes, he wants to protect you, yes, where you are threatened, yes, and lean into that. Jesus proves that to you by his taking all the threats of death and hell and disaster to shield you. Take hope in that. But where does God want to use you standing with Jesus, standing alongside these faithful women of old to say, no, The darkness stops right here. That's your privilege. That's your joy this Advent and always as Christ's people. May we look for fresh light in our darkness and may we rejoice as grace comes to us even in those dark places and multiplied to us and through us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time praise and exalt you as our light, our hope, our life. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would today and and all through this journey see you in Scripture, see you powerfully and wonderfully in Scripture here in Exodus, and our hearts would be encouraged and drawn to you, that in your light we would bask in that light, and our faces would shine from glory to glory, even as Moses does in this story, we'll see. Lord, for some of us, Holy Spirit, we just need you to break in. We need you to break in in our despair, our forgottenness, our pain of oppression, even our sense that our life is under threat from indirect or direct sources, and comfort us and encourage us. Help us to comfort one another in this, Lord, with your gospel 
with your hope, with your life, but also strengthen us to stand against the darkness where you would have us, to be that one or two key people in a moment that you really pivot around to move things from darkness to light. And we praise you for this, O Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.